Hey, listeners, if you are thinking about divorce and concerned about your children, please go to my online parenting plan course. It will help you plan how you're going to parent through divorce and beyond. And I promise you, it will keep conflicts from erupting in the future while keeping you centered on your children. Check it out at lisakoski.com. Welcome to Doing Divorce Different. I'm your host, Lisa Koski, an attorney who became a mediator. I work to guide couples through their divorce with as much ease as we possibly can. I know that this can be a very scary time for people. And the purpose of this podcast is to take the fear out of divorce and to teach people that there is a better way to do it. And if you have kids, you know that the best thing you can do for them is to be a united front. We're so happy that you're here. Episode 24 is a good one. We have Dr. Duena Welch back with us. She is the author of Love, the Love Factually books. And on this episode, she's talking about dating and the science behind it and how men and women are different and what they're both looking for when they're dating. Then she gets into some details about how to write your profile and how to have your kids included in the dating process. So there is so much here. And, you know, I would highly recommend too. She's got a book, Love Factually, for single parents and those dating them. And I would highly recommend it because we just kind of get into the surface of learning all these little dating techniques. And, um, you know, really her message is, Put yourself out there because you've got nothing to lose. And it really is like going online is really how most people are meeting up in today's post-COVID world. So you're going to love this episode. Welcome, listeners. I am so thankful that you tuned in and you will be too because we have the lovely Duena Welch back um, by popular demand, because we, you know, we had you on about a month ago and kind of ran out of time. This is the original author of Love, the Love Factually books. She's been doing a lot of work on those books currently, I've heard through the grapevine. And she is the gal who puts the science behind romance. And so I love to pick her brain. And, you know, we've kind of been in this groove on my podcast. We're talking about dating and step families. And we're going to continue with that today because a lot of my listeners are, you know, maybe even just starting the divorce process or, you know, through it. But they're always wondering about their future and dating and especially if they have kids. So I think today, Duane is going to tell us some of the science behind dating, and then we're going to get into a little bit about working it out with your kids. And we're going to keep it light and happy, and we know that sometimes the statistics and the information can be scary, but um, I think Duane's information, information always makes me feel better. So that's what we want to have happen today. So welcome, Duane. We're so thankful that you're here. 
I am so thankful to be here. Thank you, Lisa. And it makes me feel so good that your listeners want to be back on. So thanks to them. Yes, you bet. Well, why don't you fill us in a little bit on the science behind dating? Well, okay. So first of all, it might be surprising that there is science on dating. I know that when I was a lot younger and I decided that my love life was a train wreck and I wanted it to stop being like that. That's when I went and tried to look for a book like the ones that I've now written and it didn't exist. And I went directly to the scientific sources and made a deal with myself that I was going to do what worked for most people most of the time. Now, that's what science is good at. You know, there are a lot of ways of knowing things in the world, but the most accurate is scientific. Let's say that you're talking about smoking. Smoking kills, just outright kills 60% of the people who do it, but it doesn't kill 40%. Right. And science doesn't tell you which 60% or which 40%. So science is good at telling you the odds of an event occurring, but it's not very good at saying it's specifically going to happen to you on Tuesday. And so, you know, keep that in mind that I am presenting kind of a best case, best odds scenario with any of the advice that I give, but there's nothing like a crystal ball. It's, we don't have perfection here. You know, and that just makes sense because I feel that way about my own body. You go to the doctor and, you know, the best that we can do is treat me for my high blood pressure, say, with something that works for everyone else. But I'm a unique individual and it's up to us to figure out what really works for me. And so thank you for saying that because, there's hope in all of this and all of the information that you give us. Um, you know, there's, there's, it's always different for everyone. Absolutely. And I really encourage people to treat their life as their own experiment. You can try what, what I love about psychology and the other social sciences is unlike chemistry, you can take what you learned today. You can immediate apply, immediately apply it to your life. You can see if it works for you. If it doesn't, you can give it up. You know, with the chemistry lecture, if I even understood most of it, I would not be able to then go home and probably really find it useful. Right. So hopefully this is useful to people. That's really what I'm aiming for. But if it doesn't work for you, then go back to what you were doing or do something else. Right. Amen. Okay. Can you give us some of the bullet points of scientific facts behind dating that stand out to you? Sure. One of the big ones is that men and women are not exactly alike, but with different genitals. It's really (laughs) been popular. Well, it's been popular since the 1960s to assume that men and women are exactly alike with that one difference. And what research has found all over the world in more than 37 different countries and cultures at this point is that men and women are mostly alike emotionally, psychologically, except when it comes to dating and mating. And there we find some large differences. And these differences, ironically and interestingly, they become more pronounced in cultures where we might assume that they are less important. And I'll give you an example. So everywhere in the world, men value youth and beauty and everywhere. You will not find an exception. And so years ago, I was giving a lecture about that. And I said, you know, I don't know that any studies have been done on this yet, but because youth and beauty markers actually are markers for the ability of a woman to procreate, men are endlessly fertile, but we're not. And so men who preferred non-fertile women 
they're part of human history, but not part of human ancestry. And anything that gets right. selected generation after generation eventually becomes a universal psychologically. So first big concept here is we didn't just inherit the fact that we walk upright or that we have, you know, five fingers on our right hand. We inherited some of the things we want, we inherited some of our psychology from our ancestors. And one of the things that men inherited was the strong desire for youth and beauty. Culture doesn't teach them this. And so what I said to my students way back was, I am betting someday somebody will collect data on blind men and they will give them figures to feel and the, they will ask the men which one they prefer. And the men will select the same one that men with good eyesight select. Interesting. And that study got done and I was right. Wow. So when I say that we inherit preferences, I'm not saying maybe it happens. We do. Okay. And they are global. It's everywhere in the world. Try and find me a man who doesn't care about youth and beauty. He's lying. So what do women care about? We care about resources. We care about the willing and able provision and protection of resources. And so we want a man who's willing to provide for us and able to provide for us. And willing is more important than able. Okay. And this is everywhere in the world. What interests me is people have told me again and again, well, that's because of name the modern cultural context. That's not why it is. And I can give you several examples that, that prove that. First of all, if this was just about greed, then women who have a lot should not and don't need any more. They literally have more money than they can ever spend. They shouldn't care about a partner's resources. And yet they do. In fact, the richer a woman is, the richer she expects her partner to be. Another piece of evidence, when we look at Scandinavian cultures where the government has taken over a lot of the provision and protection the government provides health insurance, the government provides maternity leave, the government provides sick leave, the government might provide daycare and college, all these things that maybe that's why women need the money. Mm -hmm. You go to a place where that's all provided and women still value provision and protection in the form of ongoing resources and they value it even more than other cultures. So that is so interesting. And how does that information help us if we've been through a divorce and now we're entering <laughs> the world? Is it just to be aware of it? Because we're not all young and beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I am 53. I met the love of my life almost a year ago when I was 52. And I don't think I'm anybody's vision of a pinup girl. So you don't have to be... People strongly prefer, men strongly prefer youth and beauty, women strongly prefer resources, but what we do in the real world is something called matching. Okay, tell me about that. Matching is, the matching phenomenon says that people are more likely to be, they're more likely to date, fall in love with, marry, and remain happily married for a lifetime to someone who is similar to them in appearance and other qualities. So not just appearance, okay. but appearance. So. Do men all know that Beyonce is one of the hottest women ever to grace the planet? Yes, they all know that. But do they all think that that's what they're going to hold out for? No. Men go with a woman who is about as attractive as he is. Do women know that uh, Elon Musk has a lot of money? Yes. Do, they, do we all hold out for a man who has that much? No, we don't. We go with a man who 
approximates our level of income and probably has a little bit more. Now, the exception to that is if you are very young and beautiful, you can trade for more resources. And if you have more resources, you can trade for more youth and beauty. And if you right. want evidence of that, just look at any country and culture. The older, extremely successful men have the young hotties, right? Right. This is such an ingrained part of human psychology that lesbian women who are define themselves as more butch, they prefer younger, more attractive partners. Lesbian women who define themselves as more femme prefer older, uh, wealthier partners and more accomplished partners. And gay men prefer young, beautiful partners. That is so interesting. Yeah. Human psychology is interesting. So I like that you brought us back to how this relates to what happens when you are single again. Look, men are likelier to remarry than women. And part of the reason for that is custody because women until very recently, and actually even still recently, they typically have more of the custody. And, you know, people aren't just dying to raise your kids. This is sad, but true. Right. So what I see a mistake, a mistake I see frequently is women trying to hold out for resources that they frankly aren't in a position to get. Okay. That's one mistake I see women making. And because they won't go with a guy who is at about their level, who their life, their life situation and the guy's life situation are a good match. They're, because some of these women are looking for someone who is frankly out of their league. I can tell you empirically what happens when women hold out for someone that they can't get. They get ignored. Can That's I one ask of things. why that is? Why And is it more common to look for someone out of your league after a divorce? Or are you saying that always? I think, so I don't know for sure. Okay. But I make a lot of, I'll tell you what I'm guessing, but I make a lot of guesses based on science. I think that the reason that women... Um, I think that women do ask for more. I don't, and here's why. I don't think women change their standards very much. What I know for sure is evolution doesn't have an off switch. 80-year-old men still think that 21-year-old women are the hottest of the hot. It's not like they stopped thinking that just because they got old. They still know who the young hotties are. Women never stop being attracted to resources, even if we've had all the kids we ever want and we're wealthy ourselves. We never stop valuing provision and protection. And what happens is if you don't lower those demographic standards, I'm not saying lower your standards for kindness and respect and a good sense of humor and, and warmth and generosity. I'm saying don't act like the prom queen. As we get older, we're not in the same position demographically that we were. And if we tell ourselves that we are, there's a word for us. And that word is single. We right. need, I'm not saying settle on anything important, but what I'm saying is demographics shouldn't be that important unless you're so poor that you literally can't survive. Okay. So kind of just to be aware of that when you're starting in, maybe to give um, more of a chance to someone, is that what you're saying that you maybe wouldn't have before? Exactly. So I've known women who told me, and I talk about this in um, my first book, who, who tell me, well, I won't be with anyone unless he's a doctor or the equivalent of a doctor. But that woman's in her 50s and she's not a doctor. If she was a doctor, she could probably hold out for that. That's right. matching. But she's not a doctor. She's not anywhere on that spectrum of education. And the guys who are her age, who are doctors, are marrying women who are 10 to 20 years younger than they are. 
So that person remained permanently single. And there's another case study of somebody else that I knew who she was a therapist. She had three children. She had been divorced. She, um, so she had a PhD and she met this guy who was a plumber and he was a very well-read plumber. He was deeply kind. He was an interesting person. He had great social intelligence. He had uh, a high IQ. He just didn't come from a family where a lot of education was really an option. And they were a really good match. And she was wise enough to see it. And they were married for about 25 years until his death. And he was by far the better partner than the first one who had matched her educationally. What I'm saying is, if you value things that are extraneous to who the person is, and you value it so much that you won't date other people unless they match those, you're probably cutting yourself out of the mating market altogether. So okay. watch out for that. So as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, and you talked about how you just fell in love. A lot of people just go out and try to find someone. I don't think you did that. I think you put a lot of science and thought. Can you tell us a little bit of how you did that? Ooh, I'm happy to tell you how I did oh, that. Oh, awesome. I was afraid I was getting too personal. <laughs> no, well, I'm not going to tell you a lot about him, but I'm going to tell you what I did. That's All right. my story, right? I have a right to my story. Yes. So here we go. I knew that the biggest time to date in any year is from about December 28th to the end of February. And why is that? Well, because people go through Christmas, they go through Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, what have you, the big winter holidays by themselves. And they think, I'm not doing this again. Okay. It's just like they think, oh my gosh, I gained X number of pounds over the holidays. I'm going to lose them now. And they all get gym memberships. They go online. Don't, you know, so I wasn't going to miss that. And I didn't really feel ready to date yet. I hadn't been divorced that long, but I thought, you know what? I'm not going to wait a whole nother year for this. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to wait till I feel ready. Here's something I know for sure. Our attitudes do predict our behaviors, but our behaviors also change our attitudes. I knew right. if I started dating, I would feel like it. As right. opposed to waiting to feel like it and then starting dating. So I just started and I felt like it. And so I made a deal with myself. I was going to write a profile that should have had the guy's name on it. If only I'd known what his name was. And the profile I wrote was, by the way, I do this for other people. I write their profiles all the time. I love doing it. Um, I wrote a profile that was about the man I was looking for, not about myself. Nobody okay. goes on BuzzFeeds to take a quiz about somebody else. They do it to take a quiz about them. So make your ad a clarion call, throw down the gauntlet for the other person, say, here's who I'm looking for. The other thing is I value things like grammatical expression of ideas, punctuation that is correct, um, a sense of humor, lightheartedness. So I didn't say I wanted people who could do that. I exhibited those qualities in the profile that I wrote. I, I love what you're saying. And it, it, resonates with me as I think about my business and getting to, I mean, this, it's reminding me of that. I need to know who my client is and meet their needs. And so I've done exercises like that with who my client is, and it would only make sense that it would work in this situation as well. Absolutely. 
absolutely it will work. And, you know, all of this implies that I knew a lot about who I was looking for. So I had done the background work. I had already worked on my attitudes. The first third of my book is really about working on yourself. Okay. I had already blasted the myths that people believe about dating that aren't true. I had already figured out exactly what I had to have as opposed to what I wanted. And so now my task was to make sure that I expressed this in an ad in a way that the other person would connect with emotionally and that he would feel like, wow, she is asking for me, like exactly for me. And you were. And, oh, it totally worked. It worked in seven days. Well, and you were asking for him. Oh, I absolutely, I absolutely was asking for him. Yeah, absolutely. And when he reached out to me and he's told me since then, he wrote to me as soon as he saw the ad, he had been on his phone. He, we were on match. He had been on his phone. He had seen my pictures. He had clicked through and then he saw the ad and he was like, oh my gosh, this is it. And so he instantly switched to his computer because he wanted to make sure he wrote down everything he was thinking that went along with my ad. He wrote a long response and we wound up on the phone within three hours and we have only missed one day of talking since that day. Uh, that's a good story. And you know, the, another question popped into my head. Is there really in today's world any other good way to meet someone other you know, than online? Yeah, most people now do meet online partly because the pandemic changed some things. You know, people were already meeting online, but then we had to spend all our time siloed in our own worlds. And that was the way to meet. And for a lot of us, that's still the way to meet. Our lives didn't go back to what they were before. We might still be working at home. We might be doing a lot of our shopping online. Maybe somebody has a chronic condition and they can't just go live like they used to live. So dating online is, if, People are ignoring that. That's that's a big mistake. And I would say it's a bigger mistake for single parents than it is for other people. Because when you're a single parent, you are home more. Yeah. You can, if you write the right ad, you can bleary-eyed 2 a.m. in your pajamas after you burp the baby. You can, you can find someone. As opposed to hoping that you're in the real world and bump into someone that, you know... Making a connection usually requires repeated exposure to the same person over and over. We don't necessarily get that once we're out of college anymore. Right. And it's not even that common at our jobs anymore. So you're really making a mistake if you're not online. A big part of my focus with clients is about online dating. And another big focus is don't settle for someone who doesn't have your must-haves. Be careful about what your must-haves are. Don't do the thing where if you're a woman, you must have a six footer. Look, the average height for North American men is five foot nine. You are cutting yourself out of the mating market. The six footers can date the 30 year old. Well, and I'm assuming that people need to get your book and then they're going to get more of the details on how to write their profile. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they certainly will. In fact, I'm, February 14th, my first book, Love Factually, 10 Proven Steps for My Wish to I Do, is re-releasing. It's a revised, expanded, and updated edition because human nature hasn't changed. The things I told you about human nature, they are what they are, but dating has really. And so I've, I've updated that book. Nothing I said before is wrong. It's just I've got a lot more detail about what's right now because I know a lot more detail about what's right now. Sure. That was you know, a few years ago. And um, yes, but writing your ad, write it about them. 
make your ad embody the qualities that you are seeking. If you're funny, be funny. Mm-hmm. Don't ask for a person with a sense of humor if you're not going to be funny. Right. Women, I would encourage you to include the word fun at least twice in your ad. I don't know any Why is that? Well, I don't know any research on whether I'm right about the word fun. Um, whether I know why fun is important, but I suspect that because people are more playful when they're young, people, the younger a person is, the more playful that person is. And men value what? Youth. If you include the concept of fun, he's going to, men don't actually want somebody who's 21. What they would love is somebody who's about their age, who looks and acts 21. Right. I'm exaggerating a little bit there. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, because men, most men, you know, they once they're a certain age, they're like, if I had a 21 year old, what would I do with her? So, (laughs) so I'm not saying it's really that extreme, but they want, they value the markers of youth, even if you're not young. So if you show that you have a young, upbeat, positive spirit, that's going to be really alluring to men that you're looking for. Again, see, the thing is the most successful men, they can find somebody who doesn't have kids. So if you're going to compete to get those men, you are going to have to know exactly what you are doing and you're going to have to leverage the heck out of it, which of course I did. I have a kid and I leveraged the heck out of everything I know. I can't imagine a better person for me than the person that I'm with. I really can't. He's just delightful. That, that is so wonderful. And I'm so happy to hear that it's working for you because then we can trust you and learn from you. And, and we need that. And I've been married 30 years, so I'm not going to be dating anytime soon. And I can't give people this information, but you did, you brought up, you had a kid and leveraging things. So now let's get into the part of the podcast where we talk a little bit about kids and dating. And, um, and is this in your book too, or is this just information that we're going to get from you today? Oh yeah. Love factually for single parents and those dating them. The first third is about working on yourself and your whole situation with your ex and getting over whatever trauma you have to get over. Because let's face it, a lot of us have trauma after that. The second third is about, okay, how do I date? And the the third part of the book is, okay, I found them. Now what? Because, you know, maybe my kids don't like them. Maybe my former in-laws are giving me a hard time. We come with a whole, this whole baggage train. And when you're first starting out, the stakeholders are you and your person and maybe their parents. But when you are restarting out, your Mm -hmm. stakeholders include your children. They include the broader community that's invested in those children. It includes, you know, maybe your former in-laws still, because once you have kids, your family, I mean, your family forever. I'm I'm still family with my ex's family and that'll always be the case. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and I wouldn't want it to be another way, but you have all these, you have all these stakeholders. And so It's unrealistic to expect this Brady Bunch scenario where people seamlessly blend their families. So one of the things I would say is moderate your expectations. Don't expect your kids to think that this is their real mom or dad or that this person has parental level authority over them. Mm -hmm. You chose this person. Your kid did not. Right. How involved do you get? And I'm sure it depends on their ages. But how old was your child when you started dating? He was five. Okay, so he was young. So my understanding 
is the one thing you want to be a little careful of at that age is they attach so quickly to someone that you want to be careful about when you, is that correct? I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I've heard that. It kind of depends on the kid, but I would say in a general way, that is true. And, you know, I, I actually, sometimes there's not a clear cut answer in the science. And so I ask people for their perspectives and I did a survey on this and the survey result, results that came back to me were bimodal, meaning they were at one extreme or the other. There were people who said, introduce your kids right away, because if this person's bad with your right. kids, you won't have wasted a ton of time. Right, right, right. Because there were people who answered the survey who'd said, I got pretty deeply involved, like nine or 10 months in, introduced my kids. And it turns out this person was not going to be an appropriate step parent. And there I got my heart broken. And the other people were saying, you know what, keep that stuff. That's for you. Have your relationship on the side. Involve when it gets really serious, involve them. Here's the middle ground with that. I would say involve your children when it seems like it's a going concern, but well in advance of a permanent decision. Okay. So if the two of you are falling in love and this person is asking to meet your kids, don't shove your kids down their throat. If they're not asking, don't do it. When yeah, do you, you know, tell your kids, when you talk to your kids about it, like, I mean, he, say they were older than five. Okay. You know, research shows that the hardest times to remarry are when your children are between nine and 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. um, by the time a child is nine, they have a really, they have a read on how they expect life to be. And they didn't expect this other person in it. By the time they're 15 or 16, they kind of have a life of their own. And they really would rather that you were distracted with something else. <laughs> <laughs> they don't mind so much when they're older. But as far as what to tell them, it depends on, I'm not going to say exactly what to say, because you know your kid. I don't mm -hmm. know your kid. It depends on their level of maturity and it depends on their age and it depends on how serious this relationship is. I do work with clients on this based on their individual child. So I had a client where the, the little boy was um, seven and the first meeting between the client and the, between the client's new boyfriend and the little boy the client's boyfriend met them at a park where the little boy was playing and he just sat next to mom and talked to her and then met the child and then he left. And she said, this is a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And then later on, she had him come over for about an hour and play in the backyard. And then later on, he came for dinner. And she was able to observe his behavior without setting up expectations. You know, sure. when, when my son was little, I had friends over all the time. I mean, friends, not boyfriends, friends. over. Right. It wasn't like he got so attached that he was devastated if they did right. over the following week. So one way to deal with this is start off that your child's understanding is this is just one more person who just comes over. Obviously this is going to preclude things like sleepovers. That's going to need to happen when you're, kid is somewhere else. And I will say that a 25 year longitudinal study on people who divorced and what their subsequent relationships were like, found that kids don't, you guys know this already, kids don't do what you say, they do what you do. Right. The more sexual partners you have that you have while they're at home, 
the more they're going to have when they're very young. Okay. It's just, it's just the truth. Yep. Yeah. That make, that does make sense. So I will tell you a lot of women worry about this and I'd like to set your mind at ease. If you have barriers to a man spending all his time at your house or you spending all your time with him, that will actually move the relationship forward faster if the man wants you and not just a booty call. Right. I'll give an example. I had a client who decided she was going to follow my advice. Not all of them do. <laughs> she was going to follow my advice and she wasn't going to allow her new boyfriend to spend the night when her then, I can't remember the exact age, maybe seven, six, six-year-old was home. And this guy started talking about, you know, living together. And she followed my advice to say to him, I understand that you feel really optimistic about this relationship. You're talking about living together. And I understand that that's a compliment, but I would never risk my stability and my child's stability for a maybe. Okay. And that I would never do that. And therefore I get that you and I are just starting to date. We're just now falling in love. I don't know where this is headed for sure, but you need to understand this about me. I will never be living with you without marriage. Okay. Ever. And I will never be having you spend the night until that's how serious it is. And we can see each other all the other times. Let me tell you what that does. It creates a tipping point that tips out players. They're gone. Well, and, and but I, it tips in the stairs. They will propose. And that guy proposed soon after that. Well, and I was wondering as you were talking, at what point do you kind of set the parameters? And um, you know, so you're you're on match and you're doing the profile and you're looking for someone. How much do you tell about your kids to the new person? Do you set it out right away that I'm a package deal and or do you wait and get to know the person? So this is one of those things where it's like reading a book. You know how when you read a book, there's an introduction, it, mm -hmm. not a novel Um not a fiction book. When you're reading a how-to book, there'll be an introduction and the introduction says, here's what we're going to talk about in the book. And it gives you the bullet points. It doesn't go into detail because that's what the book is for. Right. When you're first dating, give the bullet points, but the relationship is what the details are for. Don't give all the details. Look, you would tell somebody standing next to you in line at the grocery right. store that you had kids. That's not a big secret. It shouldn't be a secret. Before this person is even clicked through on your profile, they should know how many kids you have. Okay. They should know that you're a parent, but they should not see pictures of them. And why is Don't that? Well, first of all, because the men who like that are often predators. Oh, see, yeah. So you have to be careful. Yeah. You have to protect your kids as you're doing this. Oh, I have a whole chapter that's just about that. Yeah, you know what? That's a whole new can of worms that I did not even pop into my head. So that's mm -hmm. good to know. I really, I really, you know, um, so highly recommend people get your book. And this went so fast, Duena. Is it did? It did. Anything else that you want to say about kids and dating, or did oh, we? I so I want to say covered? so much. I could go on for hours and hours and hours. But I will say, 
it's different the next time around. But if you protect yourself with knowledge and stick to a plan, it doesn't have to be worse. Okay. And now let us know, and I will have it in the show notes again, but where can people find your books and information? Well, they can find out a lot more about my books. They can get free content, for example, at lovefactually with an F dot C-O, www.lovefactually.co. And they can also click through to get information about my coaching, which will lead them to another site with tons of free articles and links to podcasts I've done and just a wonderland of other options. So So you have a lot of resources. So listeners, go find her and Dwayne and think, I feel like you're my friend (laughs) and I have so enjoyed chatting with you and I hope we can do it more. I would love to do it more. I just enjoy you so much and I thank your audience for listening. All right. Thanks so much, Duana. You take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Doing Divorce Different. And remember, there is a better way to divorce together. I'm Lisa Kosky, and I am here for you. If you need me, go to lisakosky.com.